chapter five of book two of on the heavens by aristotle translated by j l stocks this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by geoffrey edwards chapter five now there are two ways of moving along a circle from a to b or from a to c and we have already explained that these movements are not contrary to one another but nothing which concerns the eternal can be a matter of chance or spontaneity and the heaven and its circular motion are eternal we must therefore ask why this motion takes one direction and not the other either this is itself an ultimate fact or there is an ultimate fact behind it it may seem evidence of excessive folly or excessive zeal to try to provide an explanation of some things or of everything admitting no exception the criticism however is not always just one should first consider what reason there is for speaking and also what kind of certainty is looked for whether human merely or of a more cogent kind when any one shall succeed in finding proofs of greater precision gratitude will be due to him for the discovery but at present we must be content with a probable solution if nature always follows the best course possible and just as upward movement is the superior form of rectilinear movement since the upper region is more divine than the lower so forward movement is superior to backward then front and back exhibits like right and left as we said before and as the difficulty just stated itself suggests the distinction of prior and posterior which provides a reason and so solves our difficulty supposing that nature is ordered in the best way possible this may stand as the reason of the fact mentioned for it is best to move with a movement simple and unceasing and further in the superior of two possible directions chapter six we have next to show that the movement of the heaven is regular and not irregular this applies only to the first heaven and the first movement for the lower spheres exhibit a composition of several movements into one if the movement is uneven clearly there will be acceleration maximum speed and retardation since these appear in all irregular motions the maximum may occur either at the starting point or at the goal or between the two and we expect natural motion to reach its maximum at the goal unnatural motion at the starting point and missiles midway between the two but circular movement having no beginning or limit or middle in the direct sense of the words has neither whence nor whither nor middle for in time it is eternal and in length it returns upon itself without a break if then its movement has no maximum it can have no irregularity since irregularity is produced by a retardation and acceleration 
further since everything that is moved is moved by something the cause of the irregularity of movement must lie either in the mover or in the moved or in both for if the mover moved not always with the same force or if the moved were altered and did not remain the same or if both were to change the result might well be an irregular movement in the moved but none of these possibilities can be conceived as actual in the case of the heavens as to that which is moved we have shown that it is primary and simple and ungenerated and indestructible and generally unchanging and the mover has an even better right to these attributes it is the primary that moves the primary the simple the simple the indestructible and ungenerated that which is indestructible and ungenerated since then that which is moved being a body is nevertheless unchanging how should the mover which is incorporeal be changed it follows then further that the motion cannot be irregular for if irregularity occurs there must be change either in the movement as a whole from fast to slow and slow to fast or in its parts that there is no irregularity in the parts is obvious since if there were some divergence of the stars would have taken place before now in the infinity of time as one moved slower and another faster but no alteration of their intervals is ever observed nor again is a change in the movement as a whole admissible retardation is always due to incapacity and incapacity is unnatural the incapacities of animals age decay and the like are all unnatural due it seems to the fact that the whole animal complex is made up of materials which differ in respect of their proper places and no single part occupies its own place if therefore that which is primary contains nothing unnatural being simple and unmixed and in its proper place and having no contrary then it has no place for incapacity nor consequently for retardation or since acceleration involves retardation for acceleration again it is inconceivable that the mover should first show incapacity for an infinite time and capacity afterwards for another infinity for clearly nothing which like incapacity is unnatural ever continues for an infinity of time nor does the unnatural endure as long as the natural or any form of incapacity as long as the capacity but if the movement is retarded it must necessarily be retarded for an infinite time equally impossible is perpetual acceleration or perpetual retardation for such movement would be infinite and indefinite but every movement in our view proceeds from one point to another and is definite in character again suppose one assumes a minimum time in less than which the heaven could not complete its movement for as a given walk or a given exercise on the harp cannot take any and every time but every performance has its definite minimum time which is unsurpassable so one might suppose the movement of the heaven 
could not be completed in any and every time but in that case perpetual acceleration is impossible and equally perpetual retardation for the argument holds of both and each if we may take acceleration to proceed by identical or increasing additions of speed and for an infinite time the remaining alternative is to say that the movement exhibits an alteration of slower and faster but this is a mere fiction and quite inconceivable further irregularity of this kind would be particularly unlikely to pass unobserved since contrast makes observation easy that there is one heaven then only and that it is ungenerated and eternal and further that its movement is regular has now been sufficiently explained chapter seven we have next to speak of the stars as they are called of their composition shape and movements it would be most natural and consequent upon what has been said that each of the stars should be composed of that substance in which their path lies since as we said there is an element whose natural movement is circular in so saying we are only following the same line of thought as those who say that the stars are fiery because they believe the upper body to be fire the presumption being that a thing is composed of the same stuff as that in which it is situated the warmth and light which proceed from them are caused by the friction set up in the air by their motion movement tends to create fire in wood stone and iron and with even more reason should it have that effect on air a substance which is closer to fire than these an example is that of missiles which as they move are themselves fired so strongly that leaden balls are melted and if they are fired the surrounding air must be similarly affected now while the missiles are heated by reason of their motion in air which is turned into fire by the agitation produced by their movement the upper bodies are carried on a moving sphere so that though they are not themselves fired yet the air underneath the sphere of the revolving body is necessarily heated by its motion and particularly in that part where the sun is attached to it hence warmth increases as the sun gets nearer or higher or overhead of the fact then that the stars are neither fiery nor move in fire enough has been said chapter eight since changes evidently occur not only in the position of the stars but also in that of the whole heaven there are three possibilities either one both are at rest or two both are in motion or three the one is at rest and the other in motion one that both should be at rest is impossible for if the earth is at rest the hypothesis does not account for the observations and we take it as granted that the earth is at rest it remains either that both are moved or that the one is moved and the other at rest two on the view first that both are in motion we have the absurdity that the stars and the circles move with the same speed i e that the pace of every star is that of the circle in which it moves 
for star and circle are seen to come back to the same place at the same moment from which it follows that the star has traversed the circle and the circle has completed its own movement i e traversed its own circumference at one and the same moment but it is difficult to conceive that the pace of each star should be exactly proportioned to the size of its circle that the pace of each circle should be proportionate to its size is not absurd but inevitable but that the same should be true of the movement of the stars contained in the circles is quite incredible for if on the one hand we suppose that the star which moves on the greater circle is necessarily swifter clearly we also admit that if stars shifted their position so as to exchange circles the slower would become swifter and the swifter slower but this would show that their movement was not their own but due to the circles if on the other hand the arrangement was a chance combination the coincidence in every case of a greater circle with a swifter movement of the star contained in it is too much to believe in one or two cases it might not inconceivably fall out so but to imagine it in every case alike is a mere fiction besides chance has no place in that which is natural and what happens everywhere and in every case is no matter of chance three the same absurdity is equally plain if it is supposed that the circles stand still and that it is the stars themselves which move for it will follow that the outer stars are the swifter and that the pace of the stars corresponds to the size of their circles since then we cannot reasonably suppose either that both are in motion or that the star alone moves the remaining alternative is that the circles should move while the stars are at rest and move with the circles to which they are attached only on this supposition are we involved in no absurd consequence for in the first place the quicker movement of the larger circle is natural when all the circles are attached to the same centre whenever bodies are moving with their proper motion the larger moves quicker it is the same here with the revolving bodies for the arc intercepted by two radii will be larger in the larger circle and hence it is not surprising that the revolution of the larger circle should take the same time as that of the smaller and secondly the fact that the heavens do not break in pieces follows not only from this but also from the proof already given of the continuity of the whole again since the stars are spherical as our opponents assert and we may consistently admit inasmuch as we construct them out of the spherical body and since the spherical body has two movements proper to itself namely rolling and spinning it follows that if the stars have a movement of their own it will be one of these but neither is observed one suppose them to spin they would then stay where they were and not change their place as by observation and general consent they do further one would expect them all to exhibit the same movement but the only star which appears to possess this movement is the sun at sunrise or sunset and this appearance is due not to the sun itself but to the distance from which we observe it the visual ray being excessively prolonged becomes weak and wavering 
the same reason probably accounts for the apparent twinkling of the fixed stars and the absence of twinkling in the planets the planets are near so that the visual ray reaches them in its full vigour but when it comes to the fixed stars it is quivering because of the distance and its excessive extension and its tremor produces an appearance of movement in the star for it makes no difference whether movement is set up in the ray or in the object of vision two on the other hand it is also clear that the stars do not roll for rolling involves rotation but the quotes, face as it is called of the moon is always seen therefore since any movement of their own which the stars possessed would presumably be one proper to themselves and no such movement is observed in them clearly they have no movement of their own there is further the absurdity that nature has bestowed upon them no organ appropriate to such movement for nature leaves nothing to chance and would not while caring for animals overlook things so precious indeed nature seems deliberately to have stripped them of everything which makes self-originated progression possible and to have removed them as far as possible from things which have organs of movement this is just why it seems proper that the whole heaven and every star should be spherical for while of all shapes the sphere is the most convenient for movement in one place making possible as it does the swiftest and most self-contained motion for forward movement it is the most unsuitable least of all resembling shapes which are self-moved in that it has no dependent or projecting part as a rectilinear figure has and is in fact as far as possible removed in shape from ambulatory bodies since therefore the heavens have to move in one place and the stars are not required to move themselves forward it is natural that both should be spherical a shape which best suits the movement of the one and the immobility of the other end of chapter eight recording in memory of mitchell edwards